0: Good morning. Good morning. How is everybody this morning? Good. Good to see, it. Good to see you all. For those of uh, for our class members who are not able to be with us because of health reasons, I want to say hello to you guys and uh, that we're thinking about you and waiting for you to get well enough we so can be back. We're looking forward to seeing you again. And let's go ahead and begin class with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study. Uh, we pray that your spirit will be with us to fill our hearts with your, your love and grace. Give us wisdom and discernment that we can understand your kingdom more fully and be reflective of that. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We are doing lesson number 10 in the quarterly origins. And the uh, title this week is Stewardship and the Environment. And if you jump to Sunday's lesson, the first paragraph says, According to Genesis 126, Adam's dominion extended to all other created entities in the sea, on land, and in the air. Dominion includes the idea of ruling or having power over these creatures. Nothing is said about dominion over the forces of nature themselves only over the creatures and according to the text this rule was universal adam was to be essentially the ruler of the earth so first question i just wanted to ask do you think adam had the ability it's, it's true nothing is said about his ability to affect weather but do you think he had the ability to affect weather think he could could have dominion over the forces of nature I see some heads, maybe, maybe not. Well, what would your suggestions, what what, what what, would you draw on to support or refute that idea? Yes? I don't think there was a need to have a dominion over
1: nature, because everything was in a homostasis, even state. I don't think we had weather
0: before sin like we have weather today. Was- yeah, No, we don't have the weather extremes for sure. Right. Yeah, but when we talk about weather, they had a temperature, and they had ambient humidity, and they had things going on. Right, but it was
1: always constant. There's no need for change. So I don't, it, I don't know that it makes any difference whether they had dominion over the weather or not because it, there's nothing to control. Uh,
0: that's a good point. Yes? Russell?
2: Well, you were asking for evidence. Uh, Adam gave up his dominion uh, over the earth. He, he gave it to the usurper, and, and now we see the results of that. So uh, you know, we believe that Satan has some control over the weather within the boundaries that God set for him.
0: And can we give an example from Scripture of that? Job. Job, exactly. In the book of Job, we see where God's restraining hand was removed and the usurper, Satan, was able to actually bring a storm and the storm was destructive. And he also brought earthquake, I believe, too, or something along those lines. I'm not sure. But storm for sure. And and so that, that was one suggestive. But maybe Satan had those abilities on his own because he's an angel. So maybe that, maybe that's how he was able to do So it's not conclusive, but it's suggestive. Yes.
3: Or in Revelation, where it talks about the angels who are the keeping strife from happening.
0: Yes, because they're holding back. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I like to think of the idea that given dominion to govern the planet, he actually had some powers over inanimate nature, not just animals. For instance, I like to think he could have um controlled inanimate nature by moving things telepathically. You know, some of these powers. Uh, uh, we'll see what happens when we get there, but I don't see there's any reason why he couldn't have done it. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I thought it was an interesting question. What are um? See, so what are some reasons you think that Adam was given dominion of planet Earth? Why? What are the reasons God gave him? He didn't have to, but he did. You've got dominion; it's yours to govern. Why? What what are the purposes and God had for doing that? Ooh.
3: Demonstrating righteous use of power.
0: Can you expand on what you mean by that? How, how would Adam's demean demonstrate righteous use of power?
3: Well, if, if in the great controversy God is accused of misusing power, etc., if he had created beings as examples of using power for positive purposes either this planet or other planets then that would be evidence
0: so so how about the for, the first question is what does it say about god that he created beings and gave them power i mean does that in itself say something that he gave them the ability to rule how about he gave them creative power to create beings in their own image these abilities that he gave them does that itself reveal something about the kind of being is that he would he would if you want to say relinquish or grant or delegate, whatever word you want to say, these types of powers to created beings, does that in itself give some evidence that he is not a power monger? He's not a power hoarder? That he, he
1: trusts man enough to give him that
0: power. Okay.
3: Also, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's not spirit robots.
0: Yeah, th- yes. So, So the idea then that they were made in God's image... First off, the fact he did it revealed something about him. Secondly, he, they, made him in, they were made in his image to do, as you say, govern and rule on what, what protocols? What principles? What? what methodologies were they to, to govern the earth with and by? And Would that have revealed something in a microcosm? The earth, you know, Paul says this earth is a spectacle, a theater to angels and to men. A little theater, a little, a little, you know, the heavenly CNN, I like to say. You know, people are watching the news channel of earth to see what's going on in the latest. And so in this conflict, what what are we going to learn? And and do we learn something about the reasons there are boundaries between in our relationship with God and his intelligent beings? Would that be revealed in Adam's dominion over earth, over the beings and creatures on earth? When Adam and Eve were discussing whatever it is they were discussing, where do you want to put the latest, uh, you know, grapevine? Where do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to build this in the shape of a heart or in the shape of a of a circle? Uh, I mean, when they're discussing these things, why do they not include the elephant in that discussion? Why do they not include the tiger or the lion? get their opinion on these things? Because Adam and Eve are selfish, and they want to hoard all the control for themselves? Or because on some of these discussions, these other beings have nothing to input? They can't enter that level of comprehension. Which is the bigger gap here? The gap between a human being and an elephant, or a tiger, or a lion? That gap. Or the gap between a human being and God? Which is the bigger gap? Does this give an insight as to why when, when, when the Godhead went into their councils to discuss whatever it is that the Godhead discusses, Lucifer was not included? And why was he not included? Because God is selfish and he doesn't want Lucifer involved and he's trying to have secrets and doesn't want to share? Or is it because is, Lucifer can't contribute? He, there's nothing he can offer. He can't even understand what, that, what those communications are, are about. I think this is an evidence also revealed. Because one of the allegations, of course, from Lucifer is that it's not fair. Michael goes into those councils. I don't get to go. Why does Jesus get to go in there? God is arbitrary. He he picks him. He won't let me go. There was no arbitrariness to it. Jesus was God. Jesus could understand these things. He could communicate on that level. Lucifer couldn't. He's a created being. It's just a objective reality of the way things are built to operate. He couldn't get there. But as far as intelligent beings are capable, God is willing to share his wisdom, his knowledge, his insight. He is not a secret giver. Remember what he said to the disciples? And you find this, I think it's in the first chapter of Acts, uh, where he says, I have much to tell you, but you can't bear it. You're not able. I I want to reveal much to you, but you've got to be ready. And so the only, and, and you think about that in our own lives. If, if you feel like there's more you don't know, you should ask, is it because God's restrictive or because maybe I'm not ready? Do you think C.S. Lewis' depiction of Narnia? Anybody familiar with Narnia? Nobody? Okay, Narnia, Narnia, the, the animals talk. They're intelligent like you and me, but they're animals. Do you think C.S. Lewis depiction of Narnia is accurate? Do you think that Adam could talk with the with the animals on some level different than we are able to now? And or even how about the plants? Because he depicted in Narnia that the, the trees could communicate and, and have awareness as well. Any thoughts on that? Well we know today that plants respond to music. Isn't that interesting? What would it have been like before sin? Well, this is out of a book I was reading as I was preparing. It came out of a book called Patriarchs and Prophets, and see what you think about this perspective. Maybe you agree. Maybe you don't. Well, this is what it says. Uh, it says the holy pair were, were not only children under the fatherly care of God, but students receiving instruction from the all-wise creator. They were visited by angels and were granted communion with their maker with no obscuring veil between. Wouldn't that be awesome? Aren't you looking for the day we get to go and there's gonna be a day we're gonna be doing this. We're gonna be on the earth. This earth's gonna be made new. We're gonna actually have face-to-face communication with God. Isn't that gonna be cool? Yeah. Yeah. They were full of vigor imparted by the tree of life and their intellectual power was but little less than that of the angels. The mysteries of the visible universe, the wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge afforded them an exhaustless source of instruction and delight. The laws and operations of nature which have engaged men's study for six thousand years were opened to their minds by the infinite framer and upholder of all. I'd like to say the, the infinite framer and upholder of all. Think, think of the implications of what that means. Framer. The builder. The one who set things the way they are and upholds and sustains. Not an arbitrary imposition of rules over, you say. Um, now listen to this, this sentence, see if you agree with it. They held converse with leaf and flower and tree, gathering from each the secrets of its life. With every living creature, from the mighty Leviathan that playeth among the waters to the insect moat that floats in the sunbeam, Adam was familiar. He had given each its name and was acquainted with the nature and habits of all. God's glory in the heavens, the innumerable worlds in the orderly revolutions, the balancing of the clouds, the, mysteri- the mysteries of light and sound of day and night, all were open to the study of our first parents. He studied physics, guys. That's what he's talking about, physics. How many like physics? That's what this is talking about, studying physics right there climatology, okay? That's what's going on here. On every leaf of the forest or stone of the mountain and every shining star in earth and in air and in sky, God's name was written. What do you think that means? I'm going to come back and ask you that. In everything God's name was written, what does that mean? The order and, and, and harmony of creation spoke to them of infinite wisdom and power. So long as they remained loyal to the divine law, their capacity to know, to enjoy, and to love would continually increase. Huh. So what does that mean? The whole thing, now what do you hear? Lots of questions in this. First off, it, it, gives, us, it gives our minds something to cogitate about, something a perspective to examine and think through. Just because this was written doesn't mean it's true, but it gives us something to contemplate and reflect on. What do you think? They had converse with leaf and flower and tree. What does that mean?
4: I mean, to me, it's likely they had microscopic vision and maybe even telescopic vision themselves. They didn't need machines to do that for them. They could actually see it. And our DNA, and therefore the DNA also of, of created beings, is written in a communication form. It's got simple letters that are bound in sets of like words and paragraphs that define a genetic outcome. And I believe he could read the genetic codes when he saw them.
0: Do you think it was uh, just uh, microscopic? Do you think our vision in the new heaven and earth will actually go in a wider range of the electromagnetic sphere? So we'll be seeing beyond what we currently have, visual range. We'll be able to see infrared and, and other ranges of the electromagnetic sphere. What do you think? Possible? Sure. Yeah. Oh, birds see it now. Birds see it now. Bees see it now. Yeah. It's
2: like see those, see those areas now. Yeah. I mean, These are not unknown. And as far as the telescopic vision, uh, all the big soaring birds like eagles and hawks and condors have that right now.
0: Yeah. So it's well within the possibility. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Go ahead. To me, what you read in that
4: paragraph shows that Adam and Eve had a relationship with everything—a cool? good relationship. Good communication.
0: Do you hear what she said? She said Adam and Eve had a relationship with all of nature. Who is Adam and Eve created to, to reveal? Uh. God. is relating to all of his creations. I think you're right. I think there's a, an element there that I think is not like it was when God created. Yes.
3: During the first day, how many hours it took, but Adam
0: named the animals.
3: Names were, percep- were, were perceptions of character or characteristics or whatever. And the fact that he could quickly perceive what an animal was like and then to give him a meaningful name, to me, speaks of an intellect that's far above mine.
0: Interesting, yes, yes. Let, let, now, speaking of names, then, you notice in this paragraph, Fred, what do you think it means God's name was written on every aspect of nature? What does that mean? What does it mean, though? Everywhere we look, we see like a, you know, a, his logo, boom, sealed and stamped, like, oh, there's a the little divine name, like, pardon? God was here. Yeah, God was here, boom. Is that what it means? Written in, in, in some type of, you know, stamped logo, it's got, it's got his uh, trademark on everything. His name is his character. His name is his character, so what does it mean it's written everywhere? Yes.
4: That's what I was going to say, is that everything was a revelation of the goodness of God, everything told his story.
0: Which is? Love. love. there we go. Yes, that principle of beneficence, how life was built to operate. Everything operated perfectly in harmony with his nature. So his name, his character is written everywhere. Yes, Russell. The
2: last part of that passage indicates to me that we, we will never achieve a state which many of us understand as perfection. We will always be advancing, always be learning, mm-hmm. always discovering that there's yet more to learn.
0: I guess we have to define that term, perfection. The biblical term for perfection is maturity. That we have mature character, that we love God and others more than self.
2: And
0: and that's maturity as well, yes. So I think we can achieve that openness to growth, that openness to learn, that openness and that capacity for loving other people. But not, Not. I, I think you're right, I don't think even in the hereafter we will be free from innocent mistakes we will be free from evil but not innocent mistakes i think we we'll, you know i think as you're trying to work out the the cal- the calculus equations for how a particular sun uh you know is is uh, you know it its mass is expanding you may make an error in that calculation you may not understand the physics of it all until jesus comes and explains a little insight that you didn't really understand on how that process works yet but these types of of mistakes are not sin this is part of a learning Think about, think about the joy you get in struggling with a problem and finally having the light go off. So, yes, I, I think if you're thinking perfection as in you now know all things about everything and never actually have an error in thought, yeah. well, then you're God. Yeah. There's no room for growth. That won't be us. Yes.
2: Yeah, well, I know you were mentioning before about the animals that could talk, but but why wouldn't Eve think it was unusual that the serpent could speak to her and then actually have a conversation with her. Why didn't you run?
0: I think she probably did think it was unusual. And the thing that was intriguing to her. because. And she didn't run because there was no fear. Fear came as soon as they sinned. As soon as they sinned, they ran in him because they are So the emotion of fear, they had the capacity for, but they didn't have the experience of. So there was nothing to threaten them. There's nothing to be afraid of.
4: That oh, almost doesn't seem fair.
0: Yes. Let's, let's go on. Several more points I want to make. Why does loyalty to God's law, or what does loyalty to God's law have to do with the ability to expand one's comprehension and, and understanding? This growth in every capacity is dependent upon loyalty to God's law. What does that mean? That if you obey his law, then God uses divine power from heaven to give you more neural, neuron-to-neuron connections, and to give you more IQ points, and to give you, you know, I mean, he just is sh- magical energy is coming down and expanding you. Is that was that what it means if you're loyal to his law?
4: If you cooperate within within it, the way you can set things up, is that natural consequences
0: these What happens when you operate in harmony with the way life was built? Go out, get one of those big old hefty bags, you know, big old like leaf bags, and then tape that really tightly around your neck. Okay? Now you're not gonna die real quick. You've got time. Now go out for a five mile jog with that on. Then what's going to happen? Well, if you don't actually ever get it off, you will die. But there will be a lot of other stuff happen before you die.
4: For one thing, you can't see.
0: You can't see. Well, maybe you got a little clear plastic window there for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) For one thing, you can't see. But that's true. I think that's a good point. When we actually deviate from God's law, we don't see. We blind ourselves. We're blind to what's actually happening at that point. We're in denial. Oh, this is okay. This didn't hurt me at all. Hey, uh, marijuana's good for my brain. You know, This is what people do. It's denial. They don't see. You're exactly right. They're blind. Jesus called the blind leading the blind. But what happens is a natural degradation in our abilities. But when we live in harmony with the way things are built to run, then health and, and healing happens. And I was reading as I was, uh, I do a lot of trolling as I prepare for my lessons each week, and I came across an article that was written over 100 years ago, Signs of the Times, February 1, 1899. And it said, but since sin entered the world, men have been serving self. The world today takes much satisfaction in talking of the progress of the age. But in this, God does not delight. In the antediluvian world, there were many wonderful works of art and science. Fresh from the hand of the creator, these descendants of Adam possessed capabilities that we do not now see. But they forgot God. And so it, so it is today. Men have sought out many inventions. But what is the influence exerted by the improvements and abundant facilities for intercourse that are everywhere seen? In other words, the improvements for the abundant facilitation of intercourse, meaning? Communication. Telephones, Internet, Facebook, okay, tweeting, texting. All these are things for, for men have not kept God's commandments, and therefore the railways, the telegraph wires, the cables, the internet, the you know on and on we could go that connect nations and kingdoms of the earth have not brought the fallen world any nearer to the higher world. Obedience to God's law brings men into harmony with heavenly intelligences. It is the duty of each human being to offer God wholehearted service, to strive to find the right path. The narrow way that leads through the gate of self-denial into the city of God. The gate of what? So I want to put that together. What do you hear? Have you heard kind of language like this where keep the commandments, obey the commandments. So which lens are you hearing it through? Lens of God's natural law or lens of that imposed law? I can tell you, grazing up in the church, it was always through this imposed law. Obey the commandments. Keep the rules. Over here at Southern, we've got the clock down. We're watching for sunset. Friday night, everything shuts down. We're watching for Saturday. As soon as that the, the bell rings at the, 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 the church, boom, the, the clock tolls, Sabbath is over, the gate doors open, people are out now, we can go pick up our girls, we go to all the fun activities we're going to do. I mean, for 24 hours... There is imprisonment. Well, it's a little
2: more than that because you have to guard the edges.
0: You've got to guard the edges, too. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. See, this is the imposed law of you. This is the imposed law of you. What, what about the natural law of you? See, I found it fascinating to read that paragraph. This paragraph I just read to you, through the lens of God's law of love, the protocol upon which life is built. And notice what this is simply saying is that if you step outside the design for life, if you don't keep his instructions, his commands, his protocols, the way he built things, We are not ennobled despite our intellectual inventions. Further, it is through obedience to these protocols or living in harmony with them that we are brought into harmony with heavenly beings. Why? What does it mean? That when we harmonize with the protocol that God's constructed life to operate upon, we unite with the rest of the unfallen universe. We are now living the way they live. We are now in harmony with them. We practice the methods they practice. That's what it means. And why is it through the gate of self-denial that we enter the city of God? What does that mean? That we enter the city of God through the gate of love. It's the gate of love, not the gate of selfishness. And love is, according to Paul, love is not self-seeking. Self-seeking. This means that we die to selfishness, but it doesn't mean we abuse and mistreat ourselves. It doesn't mean we we, we promote ourselves as doormats. It doesn't mean that we have no integrity. It doesn't mean we have no individuality. It doesn't mean we have no dignity. It doesn't mean we don't stand up for the right. It doesn't mean we don't treat ourselves in healthy ways. We do. We are the temple of of the Spirit of God. So this this selfless love is not a self-abasement, an abuse of self. We don't take out whips and flagellate ourselves and beat ourselves and go through ritualistic self-abuse and claim that we're now holy. It's just another form of selfishness. I can tell you over at Southern when I was a student over here, I remember one girl in particular who wore the same outfit every day of all the years I was ever there, the same outfit, and she never wore one stitch of makeup of any kind. She wouldn't wear any jewelry. She had her hair straight, wouldn't curl, wouldn't do anything to it, and she walked around like this because she was pious and holy. What was the point? What is the point of her doing this? Do you think she was not putting self at the center? Do you think she wasn't drawing attention to self? Of course she was. Doing it through what, though? Through a self-denial. And of course... And of course She never ate anything that you weren't allowed to eat. So she was gaunt, ashen looking, you know what I mean. But doesn't it make sense to put it all under the umbrella of God's law of love, how we built things to operate, the design template for life. But if we see it as many have taught as an imposed set of rules enforced by a powerful governor, then what view of God do we get? And then I just really have to share this with you following up on what I just described. This is out of uh, Review and Herald uh, July 25, 1871. Think of the wisdom I think we may have lost that has just fallen fallen I don't know just fallen through the cracks of tradition, I don't know. Uh, this is Christians should be the most cheerful and happy people alive. They they may have the uh, they may have the consciousness that God is their father and their everlasting friend. But many professed Christians do not correctly represent the Christian religion. They appear gloomy, as if under a cloud. They often speak of the great sacrifices they have made to become Christians. They appeal to those who have not accepted Christ, represented by their own example in conversation, that they must give up everything that would make life pleasant and joyful. They throw a pall of darkness over the blessed Christian hope. The impression is given that God's requirements are a burden even to the willing soul and that everything that would give pleasure or that would delight the taste must be sacrificed. We do not hesitate to say that this class of professed Christians have not the genuine article. God is love. Who so dwells in God dwells in love. All who have indeed become acquainted by experimental knowledge—notice this—by experimental knowledge. What does that mean? By experience, you've actually you've actually taste and see that the Lord is good. Check it out. Try it out for yourself. Put it on. See how it fits. By experimental knowledge, with love and tender compassion of our heavenly Father, will impart light and joy wherever they may be. This, uh, their presence and influence, will be the. To their associates as a fragrance of sweet flowers because they are linked to the God of heaven and the purity and exalted loveliness of heaven are communicated through them. This constitutes to them the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And we talked last week about, you know, visual beauty and things like this. Even the great God is a lover of the beautiful. He has given us unmistakable evidence of this in the works of his hand. God who made the Eden home for our first parents so surprisingly lovely surpassingly lovely, has also given us noble trees, beautiful flowers, every lovely thing in nature for our happiness. He has given us these tokens of his love that we may have correct views of his character. He has implanted in the hearts of his children the love of the beautiful, that we should love the beautiful. But by many, this love has been perverted. The benefits and beauties which God has bestowed upon us have been worshipped while the glorious giver has been forgotten. Now, what is she just describing? That sometimes we look at the beautiful and we start worshiping the beautiful stuff and we forget the giver? Notice her next words. (laughs) God has bestowed upon, it says, the benefits and beauties which God has bestowed upon us have have been worshiped while the glorious giver has been forgotten. This is stupid ingratitude. (laughs) (laughs) This is stupid ingratitude. We should acknowledge the love of God to us in all his creative works and our heart should respond to these evidences of his love by giving him the heart's best and holiest affections. You know, I hadn't heard that language very often when I was reading through there. But I, I thought that was a little humorous when I read it. But if you think about it, it is. It is stupid to appreciate the sunset and not the creator. It's stupid to appreciate nature and not the one who built nature. Amen.
3: Where were you reading
0: from? This was Review and Herald, July 25, 1871. 1871. Do you think we've lost something? And we're talking about, of course, stewardship in the environment today. Second paragraph in our lesson on Sunday. It says, according to Genesis 2.19, one of Adam's earliest tasks was to name the animals. Names had great meaning and so forth. Adam means... Man. Man. That's simple. Eve means, yeah, okay, Genesis 3.20, this is out of the Bible commentary. Eve, the Hebrew, Chawa, C-H-A-W-W-A-H, Chawa, means life, and is here translated in the Greek lexicon as Zoe. It is an old, in that particular verse, it's translated as Zoe. It is an old Semitic Semantic form found also in Old Phoenician inscriptions, but was no longer used in the Hebrew language at the time the Bible was written. This has been suggested as indicating that Adam spoke an Old Semitic language. If Moses had used the contemporary Hebrew equivalent, he would have written the woman's name as Chaya, C-H-A-Y-Y-A-H, instead of Chawa, C-H-A-W-W-A-H. But by giving the name in the usual archaic form, he shows that his, his knowledge goes back into the remote past, Chawa was roughly transliterated in the lexicon to Uya, E U A, in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Whence comes the English Eve? So it wasn't Adam and Eve, it was Adam and Chawa. <laughs> How do you like that, ladies? Chawa. Chawawa. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead.
4: In Genesis, doesn't
2: it say, though, that Adam didn't name her Eve until after the fall? Before that, she was just woman.
0: You know, I don't know. I, I uh, it's, the, it's in Genesis 3.20, so when did the fall, in, in that chronology, when did the fall happen? Well,
2: the next text, he makes skins for them to wear. So, so
0: yeah. So, it calls her life in Genesis 3.20. Chawa. First, so, before that, she was... Whoa, man. <laughs> so and it suggests that Moses might have had some ancient knowledge. Where do you think Moses got his knowledge of old Phoenician inscriptions? Might it have been anything to do with his education in Egypt? Or was it that God had given a special, you know, prehistoric dictionary download? Regardless, Eve Chawa means life or mother of the living. Interesting name, Chawa. It just doesn't have that same resonance for me. No? If you have a if you know anybody named Eve, you can call her Chawa and see what happens. No, no, you're not going for that Eve? No, nope, you like the Eve better. Okay. Alright, last paragraph. Adam was assigned the task of caring for the garden to manage it and tend to its needs. The Hebrew root wert Word or root, SMR, translated here as keep. It often means to watch over, to protect. How is the environment treated today? Do we respect, as human beings on planet Earth, are we respecting and caring for our environment? Do we, do we have a responsibility to do so? Well, what factors lead humanity to damage the environment? You can give an example, but if you give an example, I'm going to say, and what's the underlying factor? So what are the factors that lead? Okay, so greed. So I've I've got that one. I've got selfishness representing or uh, uh, coming out as greed. And examples of that, capitalism, right? Which is purposeful exploitation for gaining wealth. Corporate farms, genetic engineering of plants, deforestation, strip mining, ivory trading, these types of things, all for greed. Other other factors or motives that lead to this? What are the other factors that, that are contributing to our, besides greed, selfishness coming out as greed?
1: Ignorance.
0: Uh, ignorance, thank you very much. That, that was on my list as well. Uh, inventions intended to help having unforeseen effects on the environment. Chemicals, technology, things like this, without an, any, any necessary greed involved, really wanted to benefit, but then there's these unforeseen consequences that are damaging. So sure, ignorance. What else?
4: Apathy. Lots of times people just don't care. What littering is a really good example of that. They didn't cause
0: it because they don't care what it was like. So apathy or laziness? Yeah. dis Disinterest? Which also could be in- in- inflamed by ignorance. Doesn't matter. What, what difference make? Yes?
2: Self-aggrandizement
0: mm. uh, for things like furs. And, like so, I selfishness, selfishness, self-aggrandizement, or vanity. So People
4: just think they're going to die and there's nothing to live for. Why would they care? You know, that's just like, who cares?
0: And how about selfishness, appetite? You notice I keep putting selfish, selfishness, greed. Selfishness, vanity. Selfishness, appetite. Whale hunting. Because yeah, you've got to have that whale meat. Shark
4: fin.
0: Shark fin, yeah. How about selfishness as sport? Mm-hmm. Hunting animals to extinction. Yes. I think having the wrong belief system might contribute to it. For
1: example, back in the early 1900s, uh, there were a lot
0: of people that were involved with farming, uh, whether they were actual farmers or, let's say, with the Department of Agriculture. They believed that rain follows the plow. So what did they end up doing? They ended up plowing up most of Texas, and Oklahoma, and Kansas, and as a result of that, you have what we know as the dust bowl. So ignorance, again, this was, this was, you know, believing something falsely, ignorantly doing the right, doing what you think is right, but it's not right. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good example. How about, and then this is the last one that I, that I listed, selfishness as power seeking, war. And we hurt the environment in war. Yeah, absolutely. To seek power, sure. All right, let's jump to Monday's lesson. First paragraph. Um says, Creation of the animals was not an accident or afterthought. God intentionally created them. It was his will that they should exist, and in, it is this principle that should guide our treatment of them. Notice what they're saying. God's will, they exist, and it's this principle that should guide our treatment. So first first question. There's, I think we all will agree God created the animals, and it's his will they exist. Any, any disagreement there? Okay. How about this? Is it God's will that the animals should be in rebellion to human beings? Yeah. Is it God's will that the animals should exist in the condition and state we find them today? So, while it is God's will they should exist, what impact in our decision-making does it have when we realize that nature, including the animals, are not currently in the state God created them? For instance, do we find it necessary, as good stewards, that at times we might need to kill animals? How about rabbit animals? how about diseased animals mad cow diseased animals how about culling populations of wild animals to prevent mass starvation how about killing predators to protect neighbors pets what about rats and mice should we kill rats and mice and... not in India <laughs> <laughs> what, what brought the bubonic plague Please. Leaves, carried on. Wrong. Rats. Yes, there's a hand over here.
1: You said about killing rats and mice. Yeah. Um, if it's feasible to, to correct the problem without killing them, then it, you, yeah, you don't need to unnecessarily kill them, But if but if you have a feasible way to take care of the mouse problem in your house with live traps mm-hmm. or whatever, then they don't necessarily need to be killed. But sometimes it's not very practical or feasible at all i guess
0: what constitutes an animal how would you define an animal for instance roaches yes,
1: yes. ants yes.
4: fleas
0: fleas termites wasps hornets killer bees mosquitoes ticks spiders flies lice bacteria no. <laughs> D- should we kill any of these i mean you're following my point here as good stewards given that the earth is not operating as god designed it that animals are in rebellion that there is all types of deviations as good are there times and circumstances where as stewards we need to kill animals yes
2: yeah you had also asked me before that animals were in the shape You're in the condition that God had made them. And I was trying to say that in God's uh, original world, they didn't kill and eat each other.
0: So next question. What about using animals for food? Why or why not? Why not?
1: Disease. It's
0: not the best food. Not God's original design. Not the best food. Diseases. Okay, these are all good points. Misrepresents God's intention for creation. As we talked earlier, that the powerful prey on the weak... What kind of a universe does that represent? Okay, it distorts the, the divine character to represent it. Yet, all those things being true, Jesus ate animal flesh and prepared it for his disciples. Okay, now I've just messed things up, didn't I? We had such a good good line of thought going.
2: All part of the sacrificial system
0: too. Yes, all those sacrifices that they did, it, just got, it directed them to do. And they this is my point. At Passover, they ate every Passover, right? The lamb. They ate the lamb. That's right. So I'm, I'm pretty confident Jesus partook in the Passover.
2: There's mm-hmm. It also, you know, a belief, and certainly my belief, that a lot of the sacrifices were meant to be, were were meant to be not pretty. I mean, you know, like I said, calling when you would get a sheep, you know, to keep him from being blemished, you'd have to bring him, you'd literally have to bring him to your house because they blemish each other. You know, and and, then, and, and you'd have to almost make it a pet. Then you'd have to kill that animal and catch its blood and offer it because of something you did. It was supposed to be ugly. It was supposed to be sure.
0: a nasty thing. So, you know, I heard one Adventist lady say, as somebody pointed out, that Jesus, you know, prepared fish after his resurrection for his apostles on the beach. One Adventist lady said, well, that was before Ellen White had the health message. <laughs> I'm sure he didn't know that, right? Okay, there's several hands, yes. Is the method of preparation any consideration here? In other words, the way it's prepared today versus the way it was prepared according to the Levitical laws or, or scriptural laws, any difference there? Oh, this is a great point. How did anybody know how it was prepared? You had to drain all the blood and cut all the fat and you had to cook it to well done. So this was not a a succulent, moist, juicy, tender piece of animal flesh. This was a dry, hard, basically shoe leather. It was certainly
4: before the days of mad lamb and mad fish disease.
0: Yes, okay, and, and, and so and so two thousand years from when Christ lived, we have a lot more the earth is much more polluted today and we have many more virulent diseases than we have today and the reason we have those diseases so so rampant today is because of the greed and the commercialization of how these commercial farms do where they take the slaughtered animal and they and they and they grind it up and they feed it back to the living animals and then they start eating these infected things and this is how these infections spread so yeah we do a lot of things today that Make and, and we and we jack them up on steroids and all types of uh, antibiotics and and we are just throwing all this kind of stuff in in the in the mix today. This is why you know a lot. Of, this is one of the reasons it contributes to obesity in our society. Really, is it's unhealthy. So yes, it is unhealthy. But with that being said, because I think we've 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 pointed out wasn't God's original design, how it misrepresents him, yet how in the fallen world uh, th- th- this had been used. And now we've we pointed out that 2,000 years later, at this point in Earth's history, that, that the actual quality of meat is not the same. It's much more damaging to the body than it was and particularly how we prepare it makes it even more damaging. But are there even times today in situations where it is best to eat meat? Wendell? Two
3: things. One is if after Christ's resurrection and he appeared to the fishermen on the shore, he was provided them a fruit salad and a bowl of granola. <laughs> Much of what he had to say to them would have been lost on them because that is they would have been paying attention to this strange food rather than what he was trying to tell them.
0: Exactly. Well said. Well said. And, 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 the, and the whole gospel would have gotten off onto a lifestyle change rather than a heart-mind change. Very well said.
3: When I largely am a vegetarian,
0: uh, but when I visited the
3: South Pacific and lived with some people who were native to that region, we ate fish because that was the most healthy thing that was available to us. It was actually the only thing that was available to us.
0: So then the question, you're answering the question, are there times today where it is best to eat meat? Yes. And 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 that and it's best when? What was your, what is it you just said? What's available. What's available? That's the healthiest of your alternatives. So if you live in, in some places of the world where they have mass famine, mass famine, and, and these agencies like UNICEF and others are bringing in big, big bags of flour, and you get your bag of flour and your cup of water, and it's that and some chicken, or it's just the flour, bread, and water. Which is better? to eat just the bread and water or to eat the chicken with it? Yeah, I mean, there are places in the world this is the way it is. We can't be this rigid. You never eat a, a meat or whatever. And of course, you remember the story back in the 70s, I think, where the soccer team, I think it was a soccer team, crashed in the Andes. In the Andes. A well above, and, and, and they actually ate the, the, the dead members of their team. Because what else was available? They would have starved to death. And of course, none of those people came out of that saying, "Mm, that was
4: delicious.
0: (laughs) They all came out actually traumatized from it, Mm -hmm. damaged by it. Yes?
4: Didn't Mrs. White say if you had a choice between sugar and meat, meat would be the better choice?
0: (laughs) You know, I'm not sure I read that. I I would like to see that quote. uh, You know... Yeah, find that. I'd like to see it. I, I don't know. I know she talks about the intoxicating effects of of puddings and creams because of the the sugar and the stuff causing the fermentation of the bacteria and causing some actual uh, ethanol. Because when the bacteria uh, uh, you know metabolize this, the byproduct of of that is, is ethanol. And so she talks about an intoxicating effect that you can get if you eat a lot of that at once. But I don't know that I saw her do a direct comparison. I'd like to see the comparison. Okay, should animals be used for research? Why or why not? Should we have sent a monkey and a dog into space before man? Which we did. The Iranians are do that, yeah. Pardon? The Iranians are scheduled to do that. The Iranians are scheduled to do that. What he said. Well, what are the benefits that resulted from animal research? Let me just run through some history. 1880, Emil von Behring isolated diphtheria toxin using guinea pigs, leading to the development of the vaccine and the essential elimination of this disease from the, from the human experience, diphtheria, and winning the Nobel Prize. 1921, Frederick Banting, doing experiments on dogs, discovered insulin, and thus a treatment for diabetes, also leading to a Nobel Prize. 1943, Samuel Waxman discovered streptomycin, and coined the term antibiotics. And then Corwin Hinshaw and William Feldman experimented with guinea pigs using streptomycin to cure tuberculosis. Waxman won the Nobel Prize for Medicine for discovering Antibiotics. 1940, maybe you've heard of this one, Jonas Salk. Yeah? Jonas Salk and his team used rhesus monkeys to develop polio vaccine, which helped hundreds of millions and basically eliminated the disease where the vaccine is used. 100,000 rhesus monkeys were used to create the vaccine. 100,000 rhesus monkeys were, 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 were euthanized to make this vaccine. In the 1940s, uh, John Cade tested lithium in guinea pigs as an anticonvulsant, but discovered the animals were calmer, and it was then used as a mood stabilizer, and it's still used today as a mood stabilizer. Prior to lithium in this animal testing, people with bipolar disorder were treated with lobotomy and, and electroconvulsive therapy. In 1960s, Albert Starr developed heart valve replacement technology using experimenting on dogs. In 1968, Carpenter uh, made heart valve replacements, for humans using uh, pig valves. Over 300,000 people receive valve replacement each year from their design. 1970s, leprosy treatment was developed using... Armadillos. Armadillos, yes. That's exactly right, using armadillos. (coughs) So, question. Should animals be used in research? Just use them as humanely as you possibly can. But
4: certainly what... They develop, and um, what helps human beings is really
0: important. Of course, use them as humanly as we can, and I don't really know of any legitimate researchers that actually are out to cause harm no. to animals. I mean, when all these ones I just read, i can't imagine let's do this to cause the animals most pain and suffering while we 're doing this. Right. I can't see that happening, but if you're giving an animal disease, there's going to be some suffering.: sure.
1: Yes, there yeah. is animal research that is greed based
0: Oh. Yes, usually in the makeup and cosmetic industry. I yes,
1: I don't believe there's a blanket statement that says, yes, all animal research is okay or all animal research is not okay. It depends on the degree of suffering of the animal and the legitimate uh, payoff, I guess. The benefit to the long-term
0: benefit. And I like this. it's is a very balanced statement. Sure. But I think the point we can see is that there is really a place for appropriate appropriate research. Yeah. Um, should animals be used for clothing? Why or why not? Does it depend on the situation and circumstances? And if I've heard somebody say it right here. What were Adam and Eve's first clothing after sin? They had better clothing before sin. The first clothing after sin. Okay. What was God not capable of providing them something out of polyester? <laughs> or at least wool. You could give him a wool robe, right? No, he chose animal skins. Should animals be used for sport? Does it depend on the sport? How about, how about polo? Horses used for polo? How about rodeo? I don't know. It's getting a little more. You have to knock him down, tie him up. You got to prod him. How about hunting? How about bullfighting, circuses, zoos? Here's a quotation from one of the founders of our church. You might like this. Second uh, mind character personality, page 514. It is because of man's sin that the whole creation groans and travails uh, together, uh, Romans 8.22. Suffering and death were thus entailed not only upon the human race but upon the animals. Surely then it becomes man, becomes man to seek to lighten instead of increasing the weight of suffering which his transgression has brought upon God's creatures. Isn't that true? Listen to the next two sentences. He who will, he who will abuse animals because he has them in his power is both a coward and a tyrant. A disposition to cause pain, whether to our fellow man or to the brute creation, is satanic. Mm -hmm. Anybody disagree with that? I don't care who wrote it. I think that's right on. Mm -hmm. So do you agree then it is satanic to have a disposition to cause pain and inflict suffering? Then Then what about the various views of God which suggest he must inflict torture and suffering on the wicked?
4: Amen.
0: Get your mind around it. It's satanic. It's Satan's view of God. It's not God. God does not use his power to torture his children. Yes. Uh, it, that's the definition of the evil is the, you, the intent to cause harm. You can't have evil without an intent. An intent to harm, to cause suffering, to torture. Do you understand that the majority of Christians teach, including a vast number of our leadership teaches, that God, in order to be just, must use his power to perform a miracle, to keep people alive in the flames, to make them suffer for the sins they've committed before he kills them. This is taught in our church. And it's satanic. It's not It's not the truth. It's a lie. Now, is there suffering for those who have unremedied sin? Yes, but where does the suffering arise? An infliction from the creator who tries to heal them or from unremedied sin in their hearts and minds? It's, un-remedied it's the unremedied sin. It, and it goes back to the imposed law versus the natural law construct. If you truly believe, and the reason we have leaders teaching this is because they've accepted the change in God's law that Daniel prophesied about. They would seek to change times and laws. And the law change they accepted is God's law is like a Roman emperor. He imposes laws over his creatures. Now, if you believe that's true, then God must act to inflict punishment because if he doesn't, there's no justice. And that's right. If, if we have a speed limit out here and anybody can speed at any time and there's never any enforcement... There's no justice, you see. We have to enforce the law in order to be justice. But it comes from the acceptance of the distortion that God's law is like this. When you understand God's law is a law that life is built upon, then you understand that any deviation from that is inherently damaging and destructive to those who are out of harmony, and the designer is working to heal and restore, and when he lets go his efforts, then suffering and death takes place. It's not an infliction.
4: Tim? Yes. Whenever there's a catastrophe or an area, and, and there is no law available right then, like Katrina or something, it only ever brings out two types of people people who risk their lives to help other people, and people who prey on, uh, you know, defenseless Stimulus. people.
0: Yep, yep, the exploiters and the helpers. Those who love, those who are selfish. Well said. Tuesday's lesson, it asks about the Sabbath and the environment. And it, uh, in the fourth paragraph says, by pointing us to the fact that God created us in the world that we inhabit, the Sabbath is a constant reminder that we are not wholly autonomous creatures, able to do whatever we wish to others and to the world itself. Sabbath should teach us that we are indeed stewards and that stewardship entails responsibility. And as we can see in the commandment itself, responsibility extends to how we treat those who are under us why is the Sabbath important today? Today is the primary importance of the Sabbath to remind us that God, the powerful created. I'm going to suggest, get your mind around this idea. It's not, it's not about creative power, but about creative principle. It's not about creative power, but about creative principle. Meaning Satan never alleged God was not powerful. He alleged God was not good. And what the Sabbath points us to, not only all we've talked about before in the context of the controversy, the assault on his throne, that we see that God gives a day of freedom so we have truth presented in love, leaving creatures free, all that's embodied in Sabbath. But more importantly, when it reminds us of creation, what law does the creation operate upon?
4: Law love. of
0: love. 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 It points us back to the method, the principle, the design protocol of creation. And so when we remember the Sabbath, we are to remember how God built his universe to operate upon the law of love, not simply that he has power and can rule over. That's a distortion. And so, and so, when we teach that the, the Sabbath is an arbitrary test of obedience, we've taken this incredible evidence that can never be changed. This incredible evidence of his character of love. Uh, we, we've taken the, the lesson book of nature that nature operates on, on natural law, and we've turned it into an arbitrary rule enforced by an arbitrary ruler and we've just presented Satan's version of God. Wednesday's lesson First paragraph, we've seen throughout this quarter God's original creation was good and very good. Everything and everyone came forth from the hand of the Creator in a state of perfection. There was no sickness, no disease, no death. Contrary to the evolutionary model in which disease, sickness, and death are part of the very means of creation, these things came only after the fall, after the entrance of sin. Thus it is only against the background of a creation story that we can understand better the biblical teaching about health and healing. (laughs) Tim,
3: Um, an online viewer, uh, Bill, had found that council that we were talking about on diet. And it's at Councils on Diet and Foods, Chapter 19, uh, Desserts 2T369 and 370. And it says, and from the light given me, sugar, when largely used, is more injurious than meat.
0: Oh, cool. When largely used. We'll have to go back and look that up in the context as well. Mm-hmm. So it didn't say sugar is more harmful than meat. It,
1: it said when largely,
0: okay. when, when largely used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, used. It's all in balance. <coughs> water, when largely used, is more harmful than meat. <laughs> it's true. I, there are people who die of, of, of diabetes insipidus, which is a condition where they drink so much water, they cause the sodium to be depleted and they die. So anything, when largely used... a woman who
2: died trying to get an Xbox for her kids by mm-hmm. drinking two or three gallons of water for a regular show yep. three or four years ago. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when we realize everything God created was perfect, when he created it, we all agreed. you all agree, everything when God created it was perfect. Yes. Yeah. Okay? Then what does it mean when we realize we are born defective? Does it give any insight into God's hand in our individual existence? Can we lay at God's hand birth defects? Should people who have children born with birth defects suggest it was God's will they have such children? Should doctors refuse to correct congenital defects claiming God created the baby that way and who are we to interfere with the divine will? Does God create sinners? Or are, as the Bible says, Psalm 51, we are born in sin, conceived in iniquity. If you actually take scripture and let scripture lead you, you'll discover God had a direct hand in three human lives. Adam, Eve, and the incarnation of Christ. And all three of them, coming from God's hand, were in what state? Perfection and sinless. He gave mankind an ability. Be fruitful and multiply in a world before sin. That ability was given to them before they sinned. They were to have children in a sinless world and raise those children in a world without sin, revealing how God cre- treats us, his, his children. But they sinned, they changed themselves. And when they changed themselves, they changed the nature, they're born in sin, conceived in iniquity. So when men go around raping women, I don't know if you remember in the, the Sudan just a few years ago, Tens of thousands of women were raped by um, Islamic fundamentalists so they would have more children of Arab bloodline. Tens of thousands of women. Was this God creating? No, this was man abusing an ability that God gave him. Yes. I have patients, and the reason this is important is because I have fairly regularly patients that struggle with this idea because of what they're taught in church. And they'll say things, why did God want me to have bipolar disorder? Why did God create my child with autism? Why did God create my child with schizophrenia? He didn't. He didn't at all. He creates sinless perfection. But he gives us genuine freedom and he gave us gifts and abilities. And in the same way he didn't control Samson's use of the gift of strength or Solomon's use of the gift of wisdom, he doesn't control our use of the gift of procreation. We can abuse it or use it in harmony with his design. It's up to us. And even when we're using it in harmony with his design, we are still defective ourselves. We're still defective ourselves. And we can still have exposures we have nothing, no knowledge of. A a, a woman can can do everything she knows, following the counsels that she has to, to keep her body healthy and have a toxin in her environment that she doesn't know about, a radiation leak at Three Mile Island. It can affect. You following me here? Sure. Is that God doing it? No. Not at all. But then also a person can abuse themselves and drink a bottle of vodka every day during their pregnancy and have a child-born fetal alcohol syndrome. It can go either way. So we have to understand that what we see in ourselves, and like I said, I've said it before, I'll say it again, when I look in the mirror, I'm glad to know this is not as good as God can do. <laughs> it's true, guys. Look in the mirror and, and aren't you glad he, to know he can do better than this? I'm wearing glasses. There was a time I left I didn't need them. I got aches and pains. I got grey hair. I got wrinkles. My body's decaying. God God's got a a, a a vision for us where there's no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering, no more disease. So don't lay it, God's And This is one of the distortions that go back in nature. We see natural disasters. Who gets blamed? Uh. When we see these things, who gets blamed for it? God. We can't lay at God's hands the defects and diseases we see. This is a deviation from his design. Um, Well, we had some more in the notes, but we don't have time. We're out of time today. So let's go ahead and close with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the way you have designed your universe to run in perfect harmony with your nature and character of love, the principle of giving and beneficence. Open our minds to get a greater appreciation for for it. uh, bring your spirit to take what Christ has achieved to, to write this law of love upon our hearts and minds. Remove the fears and insecurities. Give us a capacity to expand not only our vision, but our capacity to love each other. That That people that look upon us can see something, something that the world doesn't have to offer, a peace, a joy, a happiness. May we be true lights in this world, not the somber, miserable Christian who misrepresents you, but a Christian who's filled with the joy and peace that comes from abiding with you. We pray in your holy name. Amen.